0: Welcome to the Zero Waste Code podcast, brought to you by Green Code. We are a tech startup based down in Cornwall, and it is our mission to reduce food waste in the hospitality and food service sector. In today's episode, we hear from Max Gimple Henning from Green City Solutions, a Berlin-based company who grow fresh air. Next, we speak to Tim Bouget from Ode True Food about how the first lockdown prepared his restaurant for operation in Tier 2. Finally, Ollie Hunter from The Wheat Sheaf explains how Covid could encourage a surge in sustainability. First up, here's Max Gimple-Henning from Green City Solutions. So wonderful. Well, thank you for joining us all the way from Berlin on Zero Waste Co today. Would you like to tell us a little bit about yourself and your company?
1: Yes. Hello and good morning from Berlin. Um, My name is Max. I coordinate sales and marketing with Green City Solutions. And I'm currently standing actually in the green. um, And that's exactly what we're doing. We're bringing green, we're bringing nature back into the city. And for that, we found a tiny creature that nobody really thinks about. It's moss cultures. And you probably don't spend a lot of your day thinking about these little guys, these little fluffy green things on the forest, but they have amazing attributes. They have the natural ability to filter our air. And that's what we're using in our product, the City Tree. And we're installing these yeah, throughout Europe to improve air quality in the spots in the city where it most makes sense. And that's what we're about, bringing nature back into the city.
0: Wonderful. So what is the issue that you're trying to solve at Green City Solutions? Why do we need to bring cleaner air back into cities?
1: <laughs> Precisely because we don't have a lot of that in the city. Um, obviously, it's gotten much better over the, se- over the decades and, and centuries. Um, if you just uh, put the, the image of you know, Victorian um, London in front of your mental eye, uh, it's much dirtier back then. And we've done a great progress over time. However, the air quality or air pollution in cities is still toxic, and um, it results in huge amounts of yeah unnecessary preventable deaths if we would take this more serious. Um, not to bore you with any numbers, but just one <laughs> fact: uh, pretty much 92% of all city dwellers, so 92% of all the people that live in cities, breathe in toxic air every day, and we think. That's a joke for the 21st century. We're past that and uh, we want to change that. And that's the issue we're tackling.
0: So what problems can pollution lead to for these city dwellers? Uh, I'm one myself. I have asthma. <laughs> and I live in a city, so I definitely know what you're talking about. So what problems can pollution and breathing in toxic air lead to?
1: Yeah. You raised the perfect one, asthma. Um, children that grow up in polluted air, for instance, in the city of London, develop asthma more often because of air pollution. In fact, on an average day, the air quality in London is like smoking about 300 cigarettes over the course of a year. So the air quality or the air pollution you breathe in in London, in the city, every day is the equivalent of smoking 300 cigarettes. And we all are aware of the negative detrimental health impacts of cigarettes Um, And that's exactly what's flying through the air all the time.
0: Wow. So at Green City Solutions, you grow fresh air. You mentioned briefly the moss. So how do you do that? How do you grow fresh air?
1: Yeah. Uh, This is really one of the coolest things I've uh, seen in my life so far. We're taking these little, we call them superheroes. Mosses have all these attributes that nobody really knows about. And it's a bit of an unsung superhero, even somebody who does great service to us, um, and we really don't know about it. So we're trying to tell the story of these little creatures, the mosses. And, you know, we can look back at many, many years of uh, research and development of various universities in selecting the right moss species that have the best attributes for the city. So you want to have moss cultures that are especially good in absorbing fine dust pollution from the air and so we selected them and what we're now doing is we're growing them on scale because maybe that's a bit of the german engineering uh, uh, thing that's going on but uh, we want to produce the masses in in the same high quality that every square meter of mass that we install in the city has the same performance features as another square meter and so we're growing them in our moss farm. And you can imagine uh, greenhouses that are equipped with vertical lanes. If you think back in your time in the, in the library and university, you know, in the archives, you can uh, push these bookshelves closer together to uh, save a lot of space. And just imagine all the books being mosses. And we're growing them vertical with special lighting, high humidity. And there we're growing them basically on steroid, steroids. Steroids. Uh, what nature needs yeah, one, two, three years we can do there in just a few weeks and yeah, these mosses are then after they are uh, mature enough, coming to the uh, our product, the city tree and cleaning the air
0: So, yeah, so what is a city tree? How do they work?
1: Yeah, so the city tree is it's a three meter high urban furniture, we're using a lot of natural materials, so it's a basically you see a lot of wood and we're placing these city trees in the cities on squares next to polluted streets on schoolyards. And there's a bench connected to it. So people sit on it, relax, um, breathe in the clean air. And yeah, the city tree consists, like I said, mostly out of wood. Um, And so we try to really develop this product in a very ecological um um, eco-conscious fashion and with each city tree that we're producing we actually have um also a program to replant the trees that we're taking out of nature to produce these city trees
0: fantastic so just actually on what the city trees look like they don't look like trees (laughs) was there any sort of specific thought process behind how you made them look
1: (laughs) Yeah, so this is actually our second product generation. The first product generation, we used a lot of aluminum. um, We had open plants and figured out over time uh, that we need to adapt the design because, and I'm now looking upwards, I'm seeing the gray sky. It's kind of cold and uh, high humidity. And uh, so these are the conditions that the mosses love. They thrive in gray weather. They they thrive in UK weather or Berlin weather right now. They need it cold, they need it uh, moist, and they need it half-shaded. And so over a lot of um, tests that we conducted, uh, we figured out that the current design is perfectly creating these conditions for the masses. And so what you see is wood shading the masses, that they're not getting impacted by direct sunlight. And um, that's why it doesn't look like a, like a tree. Um, yeah, but it's our approach or the modern approach of a tree for the modern problems in a city. For instance, air pollution.
0: So you touched on it a little bit there, but how do you determine where to put a city tree and where are they right now? So you say that they thrive in UK weather and Berlin weather. <laughs> Would you not been able to put one in Spain?
1: <laughs> so we're combining nature, the masses with technology. Because also in, in the United Kingdom, you don't always have... I forgot, Uh, that's great. You don't always have gray weather. Um, And so we're using IoT technology to artificially create the perfect living conditions for the masses in the city tree. And that's a connection, uh, a a symbiosis of sensors. So we're measuring uh, certain environmental parameters such as temperature, humidity, and a few others directly in the masses. And with this data, our software is then controlling the ventilators in the product and an automatic automatic irrigation system to perfectly create these UK weather conditions in the city tree all the time. And so then it doesn't uh, matter whether you place the city tree in a city like Lisbon where we have city trees standing in a city like Cork uh, where city uh, city trees will go in Berlin. uh, We have projects in Macedonia. We have uh, projects in Norway. And so our approach by combining technology with what nature gives us we're able to yeah put the city trees pretty much anywhere and have thriving masses that eat up fine dust eat up pollution
0: that's incredible so how does your real-time data dashboard work um the name of it escapes me but what data does it collect
1: yeah so you're referring to something that we call AirCare, and AirCare is a web dashboard and that's showcasing all the data that we're collecting in the city tree in real time, so there's data about the condition of the masses uh, there's data about the city tree performance, how much air we're purifying there's air quality data about the surrounding um, yeah air quality and this is all displayed uh, in the dashboard air care so to speak the the objective the uh the, the hard numbers and figures prove that our solution is doing what we're saying it does.
0: So what do you then do with that data? How do you use it? Do you use it to improve your model?
1: Yes, and that's something we're uh, working on right now, something we're calling a bio-algorithm. And so what we're trying to do here is to really learn how the biology, what kind of environmental parameters biology needs to really thrive. And we can tinker on uh, values like temperature, humidity, sun intensity, wind speed, and many others. And we're trying to figure out with machine learning algorithms how to perfectly set these parameters that the masses thrive even better. And that's then, yeah, a a learning, uh, -learning, self-learning process.
0: Incredible. So how did COVID-19 affect your innovation
1: process? well for once we were already fairly digital before we're um, using um, for instance microsoft teams that's a good digital copy of what we're doing but uh yeah we missed seeing each other in the office and uh having these short conversations about something that pops into your mind and you just want to share it with somebody um and we managed to get back to a uh you know, work mode where we can still be in the office and have um, all the hygiene rules um, applying and so on teamwork I think it helped us to really focus on the essential parts of what we're doing if you set up meetings you know you don't want to keep people in, in hour long meetings so you have to get really on the point and that helped us to also develop organizationally we had obviously um, a dip in demand but now uh, with air quality, air pollution, really being connected to COVID, uh, we see a lot of demand from that area because it, it's not surprising that somebody who lives in polluted air has a yeah, less strong lung. And so there is a connection with uh, COVID-19. And, and in fact, it was just found that 50% of all deaths in COVID-19 are attributable to air pollution. 15%. And so by cleaning the air, one has a dramatic immediate impact on the COVID situation right now too.
0: Wow. So everyone needs a city tree, really. Can <laughs> you able to take us on a little journey from where you began, where the sort of idea for Green City Solutions came to be, to where you are now? Was it a difficult journey? Was it quite easy because it's such a, you know, great innovative idea?
1: <laughs> it has been a total roller coaster, and, and I, I, I imagine it, it will continue like that <laughs> for a good amount of time. Um, and so it all started in 2013 14 when a couple of guys, our founders, came together. Um, Liang from Shanghai, and he really experienced firsthand what uh, really toxic air is, is uh, like in Asia. And he met Peter, and Peter is the fourth generation of a family that grows plants called horticulture. And when they came both together at the university they knew they had to tackle this dramatic global issue of air pollution with nature. And so in the years following we built the first product and (laughs) since we are a hardware company you have to really build it. And then you have to figure out how to get three ton pieces of hardware into the city. How to maintain it. How do we keep the mosses uh, thriving all the time. A lot of questions we had to figure out over the last couple of years that then all led into the development of our second product generation, which we are currently um, installing and scaling in europe that 's the version uh, with the Lo- the love wood, a lot of ecological design and around two thousand and nineteen, we got inspired by the celebrations around hundred years Bauhaus architecture uh, and so that 's why our current solution looks a little more <laughs> maybe even a little more German uh, rectangles because we got inspired by Bauhaus architecture. And we installed the or we launched these in March. Actually, it was one day before the lockdown. And we had a big opening, hundreds of people uh, came. And yeah, now we're installing them throughout Europe. And we have a couple of further product generation in the pipeline. Obviously, wouldn't it be great to have these moss filters indoors? And so we're getting a lot of demand for an indoor solution, for an office, uh, maybe for events, conferences, or at some point also as a you know, B2C product, a consumer product. We're also developing a solution that you can attach on the building wall. And so you have basically breathing walls with that. And that's the product that we'll launch uh, next year. And then we have another surprise in the pipeline that I can't talk about too much right now
0: incredible so obviously this podcast comes from the uk are there any city trees in the uk and if not will there be in the future
1: yeah uh, we have uh, had city trees of the first product generation in the uk for instance close to piccadilly circus Um, that was a project we have had some in glasgow in newcastle Um, and now of the new product generation we'll have um, some in hammersmith and Fulham in the borough of london and in the borough of Richmond and Wandsworth, in London. We have it installed on a few private locations. um, And there's uh, City Trees coming to a train station in Newcastle. But uh, it's probably best if you look around in London. um, And if you want to have updates on that, just follow our social media channels. We are posting where they are standing and where to experience the breathing moss walls.
0: Perfect. So yeah, where can our listeners find you online?
1: twitter or um, linkedin we're using actively instagram for more visual contact uh, or on our website greenstaysolutions.de um yeah
0: fantastic well thank you so much for your time and for coming on the podcast
1: yes thank you very much for having me best from mossweather berlin
0: Having spoken to us before, Tim Bouget updates us on how coronavirus is affecting sustainable hospitality businesses. Fab. so welcome back to Zero Waste Code. Thank you for joining me today. We actually spoke to you on episode six, so would you like to reintroduce yourself to our listeners?
2: Thank you, Amy. My name is Tim Bouget and I'm from Ode True Food. I'm the chef and director.
0: Fantastic. So, Ode is obviously, you're near Devon. What tier are you in now?
2: So, we're in tier two. <clears throat> um, so, we're, our regional cases are fairly low, um, but obviously we've got um, Exeter, Torbay, fairly close. It's quite high. Mm-hmm. So, they've put us into tier two, which is still okay.
0: How has this re- affected your reopening since lockdown?
2: So, um we differed a little bit from the first lockdown. We, we, the first lockdown, as you remember, we couldn't open. Um well, we decided not to, we didn't open. Um, this lockdown, we decided to open for takeaway only. So that's how this sort of lockdown differed a little bit. Um, since coming out of that second lockdown, actually it's been very quiet, interestingly enough. Quieter than when we were actually in the second lockdown. So we think that's obviously a knock-on effect, of people shopping, being able to get out to the shops again. So they, they're probably prioritizing um, Christmas shopping over perhaps eating out.
0: interesting so what do you think Christmas at Cafe Ode will look like
2: um, well this year we're not going we, we decided to open without um, inside seating so we're only doing takeaways and people can sit outside under the cover That will affect Christmas I imagine obviously people can't come inside whatever unless they're in the same family groups so our christmas party business has kind of disappeared um so we would expect day trippers people out on the beach walking uh, and and those will be our main business really people coming in for a cup of tea cake and a little pick me up perhaps a little treat after you know boxing day walk um uh, for december historically we tend to do a lot of community stuff so we, we run a soup kitchen for for the local homeless and we're going to do that for the whole. Normally, we do one or two carol singing events um, at the cafe, but obviously, we can't do that this year. So, we're going to run a, a soup kitchen that's going to run all the way through to December, um, and that will we'll be donating to the uh, homeless charity, which is in Teambridge. So, that we're trying to focus a little bit on community. We've got some nice uh, collaborations with other suppliers. So, we've got our fish supplier, um, a company from Brixham, that come up on a Thursday. To sell fish to customers and they use our cafe as kind of like a little hub and we have a bread hub as well where we, we get our baker to deliver his bread to us and, and people customers subscribe to the bread and they collect bread so it's quite nice bit more of a community cafe rather than just very busy um selling you know food and drink it's a bit more of a almost like we're trying to make a
0: little community hub that's lovely so You mentioned you're doing a soup kitchen. That's quite unusual for a a restaurant. Where where did that idea come from? How long have you been doing it?
2: So yeah, so what we used to do was every we used to ask our suppliers to just donate some product, um, you know, vegetables and what have you. We'd make a big batch of soup, and then on one day we'd have a big cow singing event in the village, Um, and then we'd sell the soup. I think it's three pound fifty a cup, and then all the money raised would then go to the the um, the homeless charity which is um, hits it's called in Tebridge. but obviously this year we can't do the carol singing so we thought you know let's try and beat the record and, and make a and make a load of money for them um, so we're we just doing soup every every soup that we sell in December fifty percent of the proceeds will be going to the homeless and then what we're planning to do is um, probably next week we'll ask some of our suppliers to chip in to to, to, to donate some product maybe some dairy some vegetables and some commodities that we can then use to make the soup. Uh, and then we can donate donate 100% of the seeds uh, to to the kitchen, to the soup kitchen charity. So yeah, it's just a nice way of putting something back into the community, um, you know, at the end of the year.
0: Do you ask for surplus food or is it just sort of anything that they're, they're sort of kind enough to give you, or do you sort of focus on the food waste of, you know,
2: things they may have we we ask them you know whatever they've got yet yeah, surplus whatever they can spare i have got a feeling this year we've asked for donations of any type so we might even get tins of beans you never know i, I don't i don't know at this stage but um, normally we would ask the suppliers you know Liverpool have always been really supportive and they will send us some squash and pumpkin from you know obviously the the, the harvest in november so we'd have you know lots of squash and pumpkins and parsnips and all sorts of nice things so some would be surplus, perhaps, and some might not be. Maybe some second grade that they're not using for their boxes. So that's the kind of, you know, that's what we try
0: to
2: try to use, obviously.
0: Wonderful. So earlier on, you mentioned that, obviously, the first lockdown you didn't open. Um, we've just come out of lockdown two. Was there anything you did differently from lessons you learnt during the first lockdown?
2: Yeah, in- interesting. It's interesting, on the first lockdown, we tried to put in place systems that would help us if we were to have another lockdown. Sadly, we did have another lockdown, but fortunately, we were made a little bit more prepared. So we did have the online shop. We've, got, um, we've been developing an ode-at-home range of ready-made meals. So we've tried to use everything that we kind of worked on uh, with the online shop and the, the click-and-collect service. So everything we did on lockdown one, we tried to do in lockdown two um which which was quite good actually and it worked really well and i think going forward um over the winter we're going to end up using the click and collect even more and the online shop become more popular and that's what we're trying to focus on now oh, we've also got the issue with staffing so when we um when we reopened we uh, during the second lockdown we reduced our opening hours so we only opened thursday friday saturday sunday what we decided to do after coming out of lockdown, too, we kept those hours. So we're still only open Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday. So it's a four-day week, and we use the Flexi furlough scheme, which the government, unfortunately, have put in place so that it can top up the part-time staff's hours. So they all get their sort of regular 40 hours or 35 hours, their promised hours. We, we, um, we tend to commit to all our part-time staff a certain amount of hours depending on what they want. So some might be on 30 hours, some 25. So we've, we've juggled the hours to make sure they all get flexi-furloughed and they, they get, although um, they're only working short weeks, they're getting paid 80% of what they would normally.
0: Still pretty good. Would you be able to tell us a bit about the ode at home that you just mentioned?
2: Yes, yeah, so these uh, a range of meals that, were, that could be served either hot or cold, So that customers could come up and buy it hot and take it away or a range of meals that they could take home and then preheat and uh, basically cook at home so this week we've done you know say fallow deer with moroccan spices and couscous as one dish this week we did a uh, a venison petivier sort of like a big posh beef wellington Um, we've done all sorts of little things that people can take home produce cook at home fairly simply sort of almost like a ready-made meal yeah um lots of places have done it and we thought well while we had the opportunity um we thought let's try it and it has proved successful and a lot of our regulars come up to the cafe we come and have a cup of coffee they say hello they have a chat and they pick up their meal and off they go they might pick up a loaf of bread or or, you know some fish fresh fish they come on thursday so it's a nice way to get people out and about
0: yeah, so how are those um, ready-made meals packaged to take home if they're hot or if they're cold?
2: So we use the same same containers. So we use Biopack, uh, London Bio sort of uh, cartons. So we don't use foil. So they're just in ready sort of cartons that we use um, and they've got lids on and they're already boxed. So customers can, on some of the dishes, they can heat them up in the containers, in the Biopack containers, or they can heat them up um, by decanting them out and putting them onto a tray, so everything's served in the, in the same boxes that we use for our takeaway. So whether it's at home or for served hot or cold, it's in the same containers, the compostable uh, London bio packaging that we use.
0: Wonderful. So. On the podcast, we have had mixed responses about whether COVID has ramped up sustainability in the hospitality sector or whether it has disappeared from people's priorities completely. What do you think from your sort of experience over the past year?
2: Um, I think, I, to be honest with you, I think the independents that are, that are passionate about it have, have stuck with it and maybe they've compromised a little bit on certain things or maybe they'll change their operation to adapt. I think, I, I do think that some of the bigger players and the pub chains perhaps have, have compromised in certain things. You'll see lots of aluminium foil and lots of plastic and packaging, obviously to adapt to ready-made meals and all sorts of other things. So I think there would, there has been some compromise and, and it has fallen off the radar for some companies. Um, but I know... So in our group, friends that all run business and our peer groups, they've, we're kind of quite dogged about it, and we won't compromise on certain things. What we decided, we would rather tell the customer, "I'm sorry, the menu is you know, an example food waste. Our menu is fairly small now. We only make small batches, and when we run out, we run out. We communicate that to our customer, and they tend to understand that so rather than having lots of food waste and a huge menu." And I think many companies have done that, but many have not, so they're still continuing to run a huge menu and waste food, I imagine. Um, but in, in the group that i sort of communicate with, we've all been fairly um, dogmatic about it and said, "You know what it is what it is. The, the menu is smaller, we waste less. Um, there has been some movement in pricing because you know, everything is served in takeaway packaging now. For example, a cup of coffee. Um, you know it's served with, in, a, in a takeaway cup obviously if someone can sit inside our property or outside on the outside seats they don't have to have a lid but if they're taking it away they've got to have a lid and that lid has to be compostable and etc cetera, etc cetera. so there's uh, additional cost to everything we do um, but we've kind of weathered that and that was I think we, we would always stick with that
0: so has Café Ode become more or less sustainable or has it generally say stayed the same or managed to stay the same since COVID?
2: Um, I'd like to think we're about where we are, where we went into COVID. There's, I think it has forced us to... I think we're the same overall, but I think it has forced us... We're spending more on packaging. I know that for a fact, but it is compostable and what have you and, and it's good packaging. But I think overall we're probably where we were... Before we were going into lockdown, but I think it has made us look at uh, operational procedures and menu planning, and you know how we operate the business in the winter, in the off season. Definitely, it's made us look at different things, and I, I think it's forced us to make some difficult decisions that going forward will mean I think we'll be end up more, more. We might do a little bit less revenue, but we might become more profitable. So I'm hoping we'll try and turn it the whole thing into a bit of a positive.
0: So speaking about profitable, do you have any life hacks or advice to other sustainable restaurants during this difficult time?
2: Oh, I, you know, the, I think the biggest thing is to, we focused on social media a little bit and Facebook. And I think communicating face to face with customers when they, when they do get out and, and, you know, they are wearing a mask, and it's not very nice, and it's uncomfortable for them to use the perhaps online systems. I think by communicating and talking to customers, it's the most important thing. And if you can get out and talk to people and you know be hospitable with what we do, um, I think it just goes a huge way to, to helping things and, and getting customer you know, getting customers to come back. We have lots of customers who just come and have a cup of coffee and want to have a catch-up. And I think that's really important, especially now, more than ever. So I guess communicating with customers is, is what I would say. And being hospitable. I think you all, you know, over lockdown, you forget, you forget what it's all about.
0: Fantastic. So speaking of connecting with your customers, where can our listeners find you or follow you online?
2: So we have an Instagram account, which is Cafe Ode at nesco we also have uh, two facebook pages we have uh, a general facebook page which is our ode true food um uh, facebook page then we have a facebook page which is for the cafe alone which is cafe ode at nesco again so that's um two fairly simple forms our facebook instagram we do twitter which is ode true food uh, but if you, put, if you type in ODE, O-D-E, somewhere along the line, hopefully you'll, you'll find us.
0: Fantastic. Well, thank you so much for joining us on the podcast again.
2: Thanks, Amy. Lovely to talk to you.
0: Last but not least, here's Ollie Hunter from The Wheat Sheaf. So thank you for joining us on Zero Waste Code today. Would you like to tell us a bit about yourself and your pub, The Wheat Sheaf?
3: Oh, wow, a bit about myself and the Wheat Sheaf. Um, so, yeah, my wife and I, um, we took over the Wheat Sheaf back in 2015. And it was a completely derelict pub that was sort of on the way out to becoming a residential house, really. And we took it over with the ambition to turn it into the most sustainable pub in the UK. Uh, within that, you know, there's so many different categories to, to, to tackle. And, and the pub's great because it's a place for everyone. It's a place where anyone can come. So it doesn't have a specific agenda necessarily. So we, it gives us a lot of flexibility to what we could create. The, um, myself, I'm just a, you know, I'm a, I love food. I love nature. Um, lots of holidays down in uh, Cornwall and Port Flevin and mackerel fishing, which is one of the easiest forms of fishing, I think, isn't it? And then you can take them back onto the beach and barbecuing. And I think When you get involved in sustainability you just completely fall in love again with how we can live with nature rather than against nature it's about you know reuniting our connection and our relationship with her and um, uh, just uh, enjoying a a better lifestyle really as a result of it
0: wonderful so just speaking about lifestyle there you're working in the sector worst affected by covid how are the lockdowns and restrictions affecting you and your business
3: so, I mean, it's a great question because the obvious answer is that it was awful and it just, you know, the whole industry locked down, um, our business locked down, cash stopped coming in immediately whilst we still had outgoings. And, and that was a really difficult thing to, to react to in the first couple of weeks. And we, start, we immediately just went into veg boxes and we also have a, a wood fire pizza oven here. So we do wood fire pizza delivery. Well, we started doing deliveries and then we realized that delivering around countryside muddy lanes was the bad idea so we did collection only Um, and then uh, as time went on it was amazing the silence of lockdown and actually how much time it gave you to sort of look at the business and to see what was successful what wasn't successful what we really needed, and what we didn't need and I we've now completely changed our menu so it's a a solely wood-fired menu which meant we got rid of an oven um, so that's three-phase electricity energy. Even though we've got green energy, I, you know, it's just it's removing the a cost of it and b the demand of consuming more energy. Uh, we also reduced our fryer size to about a third of the a third of the size, which reduced the amount of oil we're using. And I think we and and again energy. And I think you just completely look at your business in a in a new way to streamline it and to simplify it and go. You know what? What is the core of our business? So coming out of the back of lockdown, I felt we were in a really um, good, positive position. We had sort of paid off any debts because of a the, lot of the, um, the takeaways we were doing. Um, but we also had a really clear vision as to what the wheat the sheaf was all about and what, we were, what our selling point was. Wood-fired food, sustainability in a pub. And, and it's been um, hopefully successful since then.
0: Congratulations for staying afloat. So... Under the new tiered system, hospitality businesses are still at risk. Are you under tier two now?
3: We're under tier two, uh, which is very, has its ups and downs. Uh, we have been driving ourselves to probably a more food-based pub anyway over the last year and a half. It just means that you get more pounds per head and you probably don't have as much wastage. Um, either via staff or just via um, drink so yeah so I think it's been I think for all those pubs who are food food led uh food based and are diverse it's it should be okay for those who are wet led you know I really feel sorry for them and and they've got to reach out and try and um and innovate be creative and, and, and and survive
0: so do you think it's fair that shops are allowed to remain open but pubs aren't
3: no, I mean, there's lots of many statistics about how little the, the virus has been spreading within the hospitality uh, sector, and whether it's really this area that's, that's, that's spreading the, the virus. Again, anything that sort of promotes um, the relaxation of one's cognitive ability is probably more at, at risk of spreading the virus. So a pub, a restaurant, um, anything that probably you know, has alcohol will... Improve that chance of the virus spreading. It's incredibly difficult. I think it really highlights, and again, the tier system really highlights how localized we do need to be governing our country. And I think it's a good just to bring up the whole sustainability thing: is that we do actually need to be an incredibly, a more intensely localized government and governing body to be more specific, specific about the local area and the local people because you can't just categorise a county and say that's the that's tier. It's, it's, it's more specific, specific, specific than that.
0: So did you agree with the national lockdown then?
3: The first one, yeah, I think we've both we've, we've agreed with both lockdowns. I think the government has to do whatever, whatever they need to do.
0: What do you think Christmas at the Wheat Sheaf is going to look like compared to a normal Christmas pub lunch?
3: So last year, we, we came up with a new idea that instead of doing a, a Christmas menu, uh, um, we had a Sunday roast menu and a normal menu and the breakfast menu. We thought we would just combine all the menus into one very fun, delicious, Christmassy menu that incorporated everything. And as a result, we weren't taking pre-orders. People just came when they wanted. They didn't have to do deposits. And it was a, li- a lot more relaxed and fun. And, but at the same time, there was so much less wastage because we just ran it like a normal restaurant. So in that sense, we're sort of following on from last year and continuing the same theme and just making our menu and our building Christmassy. People can come, enjoy the Christmassy uh, vibe, the festive vibes, and uh, and not feel like, um, well, at least potentially escape from the idea that there is a virus. Uh, We're still um, knowing that they need to be secure and safe within this environment.
0: Okay, so how do you actually source your food sustainably? So where will, where will the Christmas meal come from this year?
3: Uh, so the Christmas meal, we have dedicate ourselves to sourcing everything as local and as organic and sustainably as possible. Uh, we have a great relationship with my parents' farm, who are only a couple of miles away. Uh, they do uh, beautiful organic fed pigs and uh, charcuterie, gammon, that sort of thing. Uh, they do cider. They've got apples. My mum's got a walled garden with walled garden fruit. So we're quite, you, I think we try and do as much as we possibly can from the local area. Uh, there's a great uh, dry plucked uh, poultry farm not too far away. And uh, I don't know if you've heard of dry plucking, but it's, uh, they pick all the feathers out by hand as opposed to putting them through what is effectively an electrified car wash. Uh, so, the, so the integrity of the meat is delicious. It lasts longer and the flavour is even better. Um, so i think again for us it's just about honing in on our ethos and our sustainability and just trying to make more with less Uh, less waste equals more flavor localness equals freshness which equals more flavor as well
0: so you talk about um local sourcing would you be able to tell us a bit about food miles and why they're important
3: yeah so food miles generally means that the food has obviously had less uh, miles to travel by. But that I think that is, is two things. One is that the food's grown in your local area. So you we live in a microclimate. We live in different climates. And so we when we live in a climate and we grow within a climate, our senses are more um, susceptible to what's going around us in, in that environment. I remember going down to Italy, and there's this fantastic restaurant down there uh, called a chef called Pietro Zito and he is the farmer and the chef and he always says that he dedicates most of his you know his cooking ability to the land as in the food is grown in the land first and then we get it to the to to the kitchen we do as least amount possible possible to the food so then put it in front of someone and they can enjoy the best expression of the land it's a bit like terroir in, 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 in wine it's an expression of the land so for us localness is is more than just food miles it's about the expression of where we live, the identity, cultural identity of who we are around this area. And, and again, I'm just going to reiterate, that freshness is a flavor. Um, you can taste when macro is fresh. You can taste when a vegetable is just being picked out of the ground. Uh, and, and it also has more energy. It has more nutrients. So it's nutritiously better for us. So again, localness isn't just about the food miles. It's, it incorporates this whole way of living differently to improve our lives. It's a slower more powerful, more energetic way of living and buying and, 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 and uh, working as well.
0: Fantastic. So as one of your sort of sustainable commitments, you're planning to become a gas-free business. Will COVID affect how soon you're planning on this change?
3: No, I, I, as I said, the, when lockdown happened, you simplify your, we simplified our business so much uh, in, in, in for the good. That we look at everything and go, do you know what? Do we really need this? Do we really need that? And you can simplify everything and actually make both systematic and capital changes um, to to, to move forward. Uh, We now cook everything in our wood fired oven, uh, which has that amazing, intense, natural, woody, smoky flavor, anyway. So you've got an improved flavor, you've got less energy going, you know, less consuming energy. Um, So I think we can hopefully all see that there are positives and there are uh, opportunities to make big changes through COVID. And basically allowing the industry to stop and pause and reflect, make the right decisions and move forward.
0: So... Actually, my next question was, do you think sustainability will continue to be one of your priorities or has it been replaced with survival in the sector? But are you saying that businesses may be sort of faced with their sustainability and sort of want to make changes?
3: I think this is a great opportunity to see sustainability as the new alternative to what we've been living. Sustainability is about doing better, buying better, doing less as in living better um, less perhaps, um, you know, less staff, uh, giving more, giving more flavor, but also receiving more and receiving more profit. I've doing some consultancy work and it's amazing how when you go into a kitchen, it's, we are literally having to change the train tracks on the whole way we've been living. And I guess that's almost what a, you know, a food revolution is all about. A revolution in physics is, is a cy- a circle on a wheel, a you know, revolution on a wheel. And I think that's what it is, really. It's not the sort of um, upheaval of government that we're facing. It's about just changing the tracks into a different direction. And when you see that new way of living, the new way of buying, the new way of doing business, it's actually so much more rewarding and enjoyable. And I think hopefully that this, this isn't, hopefully, we'll see COVID as not surviving, but as an opportunity to move forward.
0: Fantastic. So how are you keeping your customers safe? And do you have anything to say to people who might be a bit COVID conscious and don't want to eat out or drink out?
3: Yeah, so I think the industry, again, takes a lot of um, responsibility and um, it's important for us to make sure that our customers feel safe uh, and enjoy their time as well. I think at the end of it, we will always do our best because we want you to keep going, customers to keep coming back day in, day out, uh, every week, every month. So if we don't make them feel comfortable, then they won't come back. Um, we do everything where we can. We're also putting ourselves at risk by by being, you know, around so many people. Um, but I think everything that people do by wearing masks or creating screens, um, the two meters apart, um, one way systems, sanitizer. Every little detail that you can make to make someone feel special and safe, and at the same time, it's still a pub environment or a restaurant environment, is a positive move forward for them. And I think people should, you know, hopefully should feel safe. It's it, and it's 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 a bit like going to different restaurants. Sometimes you'll just know how good a you know a restaurant's food sourcing is, and in the same sense, you'll probably know how good a restaurant's you know COVID restrictions are. I think you've got to put your faith into the operator and into people again. And maybe that's, again, another positive way of looking at the coronavirus is that we will be coming, you know, moving away from perhaps that robotic um, mass produced restaurant, but more to a a localized owner run personal person facing business. And I think that can only be a good thing for the industry
0: yeah that's a really good point so finally, where can people find out more about the wheat sheaf online or visit you if they are nearby
3: uh, yes yeah, so we have our website we are on Instagram and Facebook um, and uh, I think uh, I think it's looking up sustainable pubs you know or sustainable restaurants the we work closely with the SRA the sustainable restaurant association um, and they were the uh, association that Kindly gave us the award last year, Um, and and they've got a great website and great app where you can look up sustainable restaurants in your area. Um, Otherwise, I I don't think there are many other uh, apps where you can go. You know, I want to be sustainable. Where do I go? Most of most of the information at the moment is coming through the you know the operator or the restaurant or the or the pub.
0: Okay. So where is your operation?
3: So we are based in Chilton Foliate. Uh, which no one can ever pronounce it. it's a funny name, uh, but it's in Wiltshire, uh, just near Hungerford.
0: Fantastic. Is there anything else you'd like to add? Uh,
3: no, I think we are, you know, the industry are, you know, from, from the industry's point of, point of view, we are all passionate, positive people, and we will do whatever we can to A, give our customers the best experience, the continued sustainable experience, but then also the most safe experience. There's a huge amount of energy and determination in this industry. And I think we will come out the other side of a better, positive and more sustainable industry.
0: Wonderful. Well, thank you so much for your time and for coming on the podcast.
3: Thank you very much for asking me.
0: Thank you for listening to the Zero Waste Code podcast, brought to you by Green Code. If you'd like to find out more about us, then head to greencode.net where you'll find all of our social medias and can sign up to our newsletter. See you in the next episode.